0: in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen 506 years ago this tuesday an augustinian monk named martin luther nailed the 95 theses to the church door in wittenberg germany in an event that is called the starting point of the lutheran reformation there are some christians even some lutherans that see the Reformation as a great tragedy in the church's history because it shattered the outward unity of the Christian church in the West. While unity in the church is something that our Lord desires, which means that it is something that we should desire too, unity that is based on a falsehood is just false unity. Here's an example. Baseball fans can say they are united But they'd have to ignore things like team and player loyalty, rivalries between teams and their opinions on the designated hitter rule, and a runner starting on second in extra innings. So while there is the one shared love of the game as a concept, the unity among baseball fans is very basic and doesn't extend very far. To say other words would be a lie. The same goes with Christianity in Luther's day. The biggest point of debate in the time of the Reformation was how man was justified before God. For the most part, Christians under the authority of the Pope were being taught that salvation was accomplished by Christ, but there was a component of that salvation that needed to be completed by man. Luther's contention was that salvation was completely a monergistic work, the work of God alone. So what is the right answer? Well, for this, we must go to the Scriptures. St. Paul begins our epistle reading for today with these words. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. I think this pretty well answers the question of the Reformation, doesn't it? If the whole world is accountable to God under the power of the law, we have nothing more that we can say to add to the conversation. Our mouths are stopped up. We can't say, well, God, haven't I been a good person? Or at least haven't I been a better person than that schmuck that doesn't even go to church? Well, God doesn't grade on a curve. God's law demands a perfect righteousness from each one of us. But it's much worse than that. In the verses immediately before our text picks up, St. Paul gives us a litany of Scripture passages, artfully sewn together, that show us our real problem with the law. He says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. He says these words apply to all, for all are under sin and fail to meet the perfect standard of righteousness that God demands. The real problem of this theological debate isn't Luther was right and the Pope was wrong. It is that we stand condemned, every one of us, under the law of God. The payment we are due for this sin, the wages of this sin, is death. But, says St. Paul, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The argument about the law has fundamentally shifted. The law isn't about measuring our righteousness before God. The law, along with the other Old Testament scriptures, are there to show us that the righteousness God demands is the righteousness that he gives through faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, We have all sinned as the law and the prophets bear witness, but we are all justified by faith in the one to whom the law and the prophets are pointing. Jesus is the one who was born under the law to redeem those under the law. He fulfilled the law that we could not. Even from the earliest days of his life, Jesus' fulfillment of the law is depicted in his circumcision and presentation at the temple. St. Paul tells us that the law is the shadow that is cast by Jesus, which is fulfilled in his coming. But even in his life and ministry, we see depicted Jesus loving God by going to the synagogue in the temple for worship. We see him loving his neighbor by healing the sick, feeding the hungry, and raising the dead. Jesus is the embodiment of the law fulfilled. But more is needed for our salvation than that the law's requirements for our life be fulfilled. St. Paul goes on to say that Jesus is put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So in order to completely fulfill the law, Jesus also had to bear in his body the condemnation and death that the law requires for our sins. It's sometimes asked how people in the Old Testament were saved. Well, Paul answers that question here. God overlooked those sins of the past because Jesus' atoning sacrifice at the cross poured out blood that covered the sins of the whole world from beginning to end. Adam's sin is covered by the blood of Jesus, just as Abraham's, Isaac's, Jacob's, David's, St. Paul's, Luther's and yours and mine are covered by the blood of Jesus. St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. At the cross, Jesus traded places with all of mankind. God looked at him and saw all of our failures and sins, and he poured out all of his wrath over all sin upon his Son. He let the law do to him what it should do to us. Jesus not only did what the law required in terms of love, but he also took on its punishment that we earned. This means that God is just. The law was not just a divine, just kidding kind of moment. It truly is a picture of his righteousness and what he demands of his people. And this is good because it means that we can count on God, whose sense of justice isn't wavering. But this also allows him to declare us righteous, despite our sins, because Jesus has given us full credit for his keeping of the law and dying our death for us. People loved by God. This is where true comfort is found. We have nothing to boast about in terms of our own salvation. We are justified through faith in Christ Jesus alone. To try to take some credit for our salvation would be to take away the glory from Christ and say that we don't need him to die for us. In the end, we could never be sure we'd done enough to appease the wrath of God. But the blood of Jesus relieves us of that burden. As St. Paul says, for we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. Dear Saints, your standing before God is secured by the work that Christ has done for you in his life, death, and resurrection. You don't need permission from the Pope to get into heaven. You don't need to weigh your good works against the bad ones and hope the good ones outweigh them. You need only to look to Christ Jesus, crucified for sinners. There, you have peace with God and freedom from sin and death. For if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.